welcome to The Echidna, the new podcast from Australian Community Media. Who's he talking about here? A lot of people didn't know him, so he was able to, in that vacuum, create, craft this image of the suburban daggy dad who loved the sharkies. Still not sure who he's talking about? We'll find out. I'm Alex Crow, And I'm Steve Evans. And we'll have Fiona Kotowskis and Gary Linnell. It's hard to take the piss when they're giving it away. When politics is sort of self-satirising, where is there to go? That is the challenge that we face. I'd love a dollar for every time I've read the line, satire is dead. Welcome to The Echidna from Australian Community Media. A sharp, close-to-the-ground view of politics with a difference. It'll be our weekly take as we head to the election, which has to be held, remember, before May the 22nd. First up, we spoke to ACM's chief political correspondent, Karen Barlow, and the Canberra Times federal politics reporter, Dan Jervis-Barty. Karen's been reporting on an important survey conducted by ACM, the publisher of this podcast and 140 newspaper titles across the country, finding out what the big issues are. It's important to say first up that it was a, a self-selecting survey. So it's a highly energised group of people that uh, wanted to take part. So it's different from a normal poll, but a high number of people responded, which is great, which is 7,200 people, an excellent pool of people. Fascinating result uh, showing that climate, environment, integrity, talking about there the federal ICAC possibility, and uh, health as the main concerns. And uh, especially though there was a split with the um, the regional respondents uh, in that uh, health and services, infrastructure, NBN, telecommunications was also very high up. So um, fascinating results, and I think that they will it will ring true as main concerns of the 2022 election campaign. And, and look, I've got to say also, yeah, people in the regions really were crying out for better services. They want city-like services in the regions. So um, it was very evident that um, there are a lot of desperate people out there looking to our leaders to provide something for them as a, a city-type uh, response. There's a difficulty with this, Karen, and that is that if you ask people what they care about, they say climate the way women are treated in Parliament, all that kind of thing. When they vote, they vote with their wallet. That's what happened last time. The political class assumed the election was going to be about climate change, for example. Come the day, franking credits. Absolutely. I, I, I do hear you with that. Uh, I think it also comes down to uh, whether it's a factor of, is it time? It's time, the old uh, Gough Whitlam, it's time factor, which ties in with all the issues that we're talking about and whether people have had enough of the current crop and what they're providing and whether then uh, it is then time to take a risk with the next crop. And Dan, on that, we've seen recently... Petrol prices rise $1.70 to $2.20 per litre in recent months. Uh, the cost of groceries and housing going up and wages largely staying stagnant. Is Labor's message over the next few weeks likely to be you can't afford to stay under a Liberal government and and will the cost of living hurt Scott Morrison's chances? Just as, as Steve mentioned, hip pocket issues are always front and centre. Now, you mentioned, is is Labor going to run these lines about can you afford a Liberal government? Now, that's traditionally the Liberal lines, isn't it? They're the ones that always want to 
to campaign on cost of living in the economy. But I think what we've seen is a combination of all these factors. You mentioned petrol prices, you mentioned stagnant wage growth, is that if the coalition tries to run on what is historically safe ground, they could run into run into some troubles. So it's it opens up a, a possibility that you could have Labor campaigning on issues that are traditionally strong Liberal territory. It's been widely reported that the khaki election is upon us. So when we talk about a khaki election, it means politicians standing in front of tanks talking about spending on defence, Certainly, if we cast our mind back to the last two weeks of Parliament, Scott Morrison and his Defence Minister Peter Dutton ratcheted up the the national security argument right up to to eleven and and really attacked Labor. I think one of the reasons why uh, it's uh, coming to the fore at the moment, and yes, it's a, traditionally a strong area for the coalition, it's really that um, the coalition doesn't know where to fight with uh, Anthony Albanese because he's been such a small, deliberately small target and there isn't many areas to get him on and they're, gonna, they're throwing that at him, even though historically uh, the, uh, the main parties have been in lockstep on national security and defence policy. It smacks of desperation a bit uh, at the moment, and a bit of it does play out quite nicely. There's nothing like with a certain section of the population the look of being the strong man. Tan, image matters, and we've got a, this week's poll show Albo and ScoMo neck and neck as... Uh, acceptable prime ministers, if I can put it that way. Albo, not there at the last election, but he's changed his image, hasn't he? All those new glasses and somebody's gone out and bought him a suit that doesn't look like it's from the 1950s. Um, But also the prime minister's image has changed. He went into the last election looking like a confident person, every man, if you like, the kind of guy you could trust. That ain't there now. I think it's a question of timing. So if we think back to 2019, Scott Morrison hadn't been the Prime Minister for for very long. A lot of people didn't know him. So he was able to, in that vacuum, create, craft this image of the suburban daggy dad who loved the Sharkies. And it worked. What's happened over the past three years is we've got to know Scott Morrison. He's been front and centre through the disasters that have played out during his term. He's been front and centre in a way that he's been in our lives, he's been on our screens. You talk to Liberal insiders. Are they as confident this time as they were last time? In a word, no. What this these government MPs are telling me is it, it doesn't matter if voters stop believing you. It, it doesn't matter. And, and if that view is widespread and widespread in enough important issues, in important seats rather, in Queensland, Western Australia, Victoria, game over. Well, it's not quite game over yet. However, polling does have Labor way out in front of the coalition. But at up to nine weeks away from the election, there's no certainty how things could swing at the moment. One thing we can be sure of, though, there will be political stunts. Oh, yes. We've already seen one. Scott Morrison went to a hair salon and washed a woman's hair. Oddly, with a bank of cameras present. It's just what a prime minister does in a time of war and pandemic. To discuss all this, I went out and met Simon Banks, who was chief of staff or deputy chief of staff to three federal Labour leaders. I asked him what Mr Morrison's style of stunt was. 
Well, I think we've had some good examples with sort of Scott Morrison uh, recently. I mean, if you think about the last election campaign, you know, he ran a highly sort of energetic, dynamic campaign. Uh, but I think you know, most political experts would say that the stunts that he held were successful in the sense that they helped introduce him to the Australian people and got people's attention just simply because they were very, um, you know, that had a lot of movement and they were just interesting from that perspective. If you think about some of his more recent ones, and you talked about the hairdresser one just recently, that fell a little bit flat. And why? Because I think he, he and his team kind of crossed the line. A lot of uh, you know, women have a very intense and personal relationship with their hairdresser. And so washing someone's hair is just, you know, it's a little bit different to even doing like arc welding. So uh, I, I think it kind of crossed an emotional line with some people. And so probably wasn't as successful as they'd planned. Having said all that, looking from the outside, Scott Morrison, I think, is better at those things than Mr Albanese. My inclination would be to say to him, keep away from all that kind of stuff. Forgive me, but you're too wooden, mate. You can't do it. Well, I think Scott Morrison is probably the best exponent of that style of, um, you know, politics, stunt, if you want. Um, that we've seen. So I think, you know, he will inevitably keep doing that. But you're still in competition, you know, uh, as uh, the Labor Party, for the eyeballs of those same voters in two months' time. So you've still got to create, uh, you know, a visually interesting narrative, even if it's a little bit different. And obviously, um, you know, I think as you're already seeing with um, Mr Albanese, it's going to be more policy-oriented, so it'll have a little bit more substance to it. Who's going to win? Well, I think this is going to be one of the real, real interesting questions. I mean, I still think there's a very high level of voter disengagement at the moment, so I certainly don't assume that the opinion polls are, are where they are. Uh, and, you know, in any election, I think the incumbent has an advantage, particularly when you've had a series of crises uh, going on. So I think the advantage still lies with Mr Morrison and the government. But Labor is very clearly on the playing field for this election. I think voters are increasingly uh, looking seriously at changing the government, but they still need reassurance from the Labor Party. And that's really gonna be the challenge over the next couple of months. Simon Banks, Chief Executive of the Hawker Britain Company. As elections unfold, it's good to get some sort of outside eye on them outside the bubble and all that. So we'll be joined each week by writer Gary Linnell and cartoonist Fiona Katalskis. This week, Gary's taken aim at Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce, or as the guy he's referred to as the man Morrison seems increasingly keen to avoid appearing alongside. I asked Gary, is Barnaby part of a bigger problem with the Nats? Yeah, if you have a look at the polls, I mean, back in 1987, the Nationals were polling 11.5% of the first preference vote. Now, at the last election in 2019, that figure had shrunk to 4.5%. Now, there's a lot of factors at play here, obviously. There's increased urbanisation. There's been a significant decline in employment in those industries like forestry and fishing and agriculture. But there's also this growing perception that the Nats are now little more than a voice for mining interests and, and a rural Australia that 
probably only ever existed really in the imagination of Banjo Patterson. You know, they often get out on the hustings and you can always see them in their Akubra hats and, you know, punching around in the fields. But the, the electorate that once followed them loyally and traditionally for all of those years have fallen off and it's created an opening really for a, a horde of independents to arise. And it's amazing actually in the last few days I've been getting emails from so many people in some of these national party electorates who are saying, look, we just can't vote for them anymore and we're going to have to turn to some of these independents because at least they seem to have our interest at heart. Fiona, a buffoon certainly provides a lot of fodder for a cartoonist. I'm wondering, is an election campaign like the equivalent of the Olympics for a sports reporter? There's no shortage of gaps to draw inspiration from, surely? Oh, it is. It, yeah, it's the equivalent of, of the Olympics but also I feel this was extremely depressing and cynical. I mean, there's something kind of pure about the sport and the, 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 that competition, whereas election campaigns, you know, they can um, get a bit dirty. So it's not, not quite the same thing, but in terms of the adrenaline rush and the sort of the constant events, then yes, there is definitely an Olympic parallel. How do you set about it, Fiona? I mean, do you, do, uh, each day, do you get cartoonist block or do you think they're going to come up with something? Fortunately, during election campaigns, there is much grist for the mill. So, you know, you're never going to run out of stuff. But there are fallow times, but um, there's generally a lot going on. But sometimes it's difficult to think of new things to say about it. And um, especially I think there has been a real turn towards a more cynical kind of politics over the last 10 or so years. And, and certainly cartoonists feel the sort of weight of, of that, I think, while they're working. This all started in Tony Abbott's time. I remember during Tony Abbott's prime ministership, so many of my friends would say to me, oh, this is this must be a great time for political cartoonists. This is just, you know, you guys must be having a ball. And I'm, the, the people weren't only saying this to me. This was also other cartoonists, you know, had the same kind of reaction from people. Isn't this amazing? You know, there's so much, you know, crazy stuff going on. But it's hard to take the piss when they're giving it away. And with Tony Abbott, there was this thing where no amount of exaggeration that you employed as a cartoonist, it was like he would snatch that from you and go even further. And it became really hard to satirise. Where can you go with this? When when the world, when politics is sort of self-satirising, where is there to go? That is the challenge that we face. <laughs> I'd love a dollar for every time I've read the line, satire is dead. I just don't know how you do it, Fiona. I don't know how you go about satirising political figures and political situations anymore, uh, given what we've experienced over the last five to ten years, both here and obviously in the United States and in other parts of the Western world. Uh, I think the bigger question now is how do you re-engage with people in the political process? How do you get them interested? Because so many people are, are turned off by, you know, not just um, what we saw with Trump, but also with the pork barrelling that's going on uh, around this country at the moment. You know, you get denials from both major parties, but they're both up to their armpits in it. Well, I think you've, you raise a really good point about that because the danger is cynicism, there's healthy cynicism and there's also really dangerous cynicism, which I think has really taken on in a lot of the Western democracy, in a lot of Western democracies at the moment, where there's a sort of feeling of disenfranchisement. And so instead of thinking, how do we engage, that enables really bad things to happen, the cynicism. So and I think that is a thing that cartoonists grapple with as well. Certainly, how do we do work without it just being bleakly cynical? Of course, we on the Echidna are not bleakly cynical, but we are sceptical. Sceptical, remember, but not cynical. 
More scepticism next week on The Echidna. Sharp and close to the ground. Thanks for listening. Join us again.